25, and if you can stand for the reading of God's word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The word of the Lord. All right, thank you. Uh, What's this? Number five, number six in the series. We're talking about the fruit of the Spirit today. Um, Most of my growing up years, well, from third grade through high school, the time I left home and went to college, um, uh, our family lived on a small acreage um, uh, in the country east of Nampa, Idaho. When we first moved to this place, um, there was on our property what you might call an orchard. More accurately, it would be described as a weed patch that contained fruit-bearing vines, bushes, and trees. But we loved it as kids. You know, it was great for hide-and-seek and that kind of thing. So we had this orchard, but we, not being orchard people and really aware, you know, some folks can look at the leaves and the bark and say, oh, that's an apple tree, that's a pear tree, that's a peach tree. That's... But we didn't know that. So, being unaware, except for the grapevines, we recognize grapevines, but except for those, uh, we had no idea what these things would bear when it came time to bear fruit. And, and really, even for the grapes, we didn't know if they'd be white grapes or red grapes or purple grapes. Well, once the fruit started being produced, we discovered that we had apples, peaches, pie cherries, Two varieties of plums, purple concord grapes, currants, and gooseberries. Yeah, we were loaded. Actually, we weren't, well, um, the real surprise was the gooseberry bush. Uh, we had no idea that this thing was a, would produce fruit of any kind. We just knew that we had this bush out there. When it got, and it always, it always did great. The sad part was we never made use of the fruit. Um, it, you know, as kids would go out and pick stuff off it and eat it, but that was about it. Um, the point is that we recognized each bush or vine and tree by the fruit they produced. Well, the same idea produ- uh, applies to Christians. So here's our four- first point. Fruit is the evidence of a spirit-controlled life. Fruit is the evidence of a spirit-controlled life. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. By their fruit you will know them, you will recognize them. And... So Jesus says that, but he also says there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul contrasts a life filled with bad fruit to a life filled with good fruit. If you read some of the verses previous to what Dean read today, there's 
rather lengthy list of unsavory things that Paul talks about, which would be considered bad fruit. Um, So here's what they are. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Which, and the like means he could have gone on and on. Then we're told the consequences of producing bad fruit. He says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So then, what is good fruit? Paul lists these as the fruit of the Spirit. Dean read that for us this morning. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I'm going to touch on this again, but who does that describe? (laughs) Don't be like the Sunday school class. Where the teacher described a squirrel and said, what did I describe? And the kid said, well, I think the answer is Jesus, but it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel. Okay? You can tell, you can tell me who this describes. It's not a squirrel. It's Jesus. This is Christ-likeness. <laughs> oh, by the way, against such things there is no law. You can do these all you want and you'll be okay. Mostly, except maybe in our culture today. So, let, uh, let's be clear here. When, when uh, Paul says such things, uh, against such things there, are no, uh, there is no law, um, what he's talking about is God's law, actually. God approves of all of the fruit of the Spirit. I, I can think of some things here today that you might actually get in trouble for a fruits of the Spirit if you went overboard in practicing those things. On the other hand, um, that list that I read for you before, if you look at those, um, most of those would not be against our law, the law of the land. You can have rage as long as you don't hurt somebody when you have that rage. And you can, there can be dissension. And we know about sexual immorality. No issues with that. So, unfortunately, that whole long list of stuff that says, Paul says, if you practice this, you won't inherit the kingdom. Most of that, um, according to the law of the land, uh, you would never be in trouble for. Kind of sad, isn't it? Um, so, um, Paul lists these things, the fruits of the Spirit. So I want us to think for a moment about the fruit of the Spirit. Might this describe Jesus? Well, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, so yeah. If that's the case, if we're describing Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit evident in us would be indicative of Christ-likeness, right? Okay. And I think that's what God wants to see in our lives. He wants us to be like Jesus. 
If the um, Charles Ryrie, in his book So Great Salvation, says this: If the goal of the Christian life may be stated as Christ likeness, then surely every trait developed in us that reflects His character must be fruit that is very pleasing to Him. And in our text, notice that Paul doesn't focus on any one of the fruit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit, but fruits. He, he could have spent time unpacking the entire list and maybe doing an exposition on each one, but he doesn't do that. He's simply saying that these are the product of a Spirit-filled Christian life. Here's what should be evident. And by the way, spiritual fruit is not a work. It is the natural result of a life that is submitted to the control of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work. Remember, I told you that little story about my evangelist friend who preached, who preached this sermon on the fruits of the Spirit and his wife came to this particular meeting and Paul said at the end, kind of one of his closing statements is, we strive and strive and strive to produce the fruits of the Spirit, and all that ever comes out is a couple of raisins. And his wife said, Paul, do you know what that sounds like? But anyway, the point is, we cannot strive to produce the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that in us. Um. So, we do not produce the fruit of the Spirit. Next point. We do not produce the the fruit of the Spirit. We bear it. We only bear it. John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit produces in and through me, not what I produce for Him. I can't produce anything for God. In John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So the life, power, and nourishment comes from the vine. Snip off one of those uh, branches and middle. Uh, fall to the ground, it'll dry up and it will do nothing. It's, and the scripture picture says that, well, it's good for the fire then. In fact, did you know that, that when you talk about grapevines, that's about, unless you are crafty and make wreaths out of them or something, vine wood is not good for anything. It's not even good firewood because it produces so few BTUs and is gone just like that. So the only thing a branch cut off the vine is good for is just to be burned up as waste. The vine does the work of producing fruit. The branches only bear it. That tells me that we, the branches, cannot work to produce fruit. When we seek to produce fruit through our own work, we get bad fruit. We get love that is conditional. We get peace that succumbs to worry. We get joy that falters in the face of hardship. So whenever we try to produce 
Fruit, good fruit, we fail every time. Paul is saying that the key here is that spiritual fruit is not the product of our own efforts. We lower God's fruit standard to that of doing rather than being. The Holy Spirit is more interested in our character than in our accomplishments. That's not to say that we have no investment. It just means that unless we do what we do for Jesus emanates from who we are in Christ, there will never be spiritual fruit. To be spirit-filled, there has to be a death to self. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We have to face the root of the problem. And when this happens, when we crucify that self-centered ego... The Holy Spirit then can begin to flow freely through our lives. We're no longer standing in the way. Remember I said, um, until the Holy Spirit has control of our lives, the wrong person's in charge. But when the Holy Spirit can flow freely through our lives, then the result is spiritual fruit. It's not what we do for God, it's what He does in us. And and the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives as we cooperate with Him. It's called obedience. As we cooperate with Him. Paul, in verse 25 of the passage that was read today, calls this keeping in step with the Spirit. We need to learn to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We must learn to trust Him. We have to trust the promptings He places in our lives. Step, Stay in step with Him. Stay in the Word. For it is most often through the Word that we hear the Holy Spirit speak. And that's not always an easy... Living this way is not only always an easy thing to do in our work uh, results centered culture. In the world we live in, we tend to measure a person's worth by more by what they do than by who they are. And we see it all the time. We have this uh, cultural worship of people who may be famous and can do amazing things, but their lives, personal lives, are a, a moral, ethical wreck. But that's our tendency is to measure a person's worth more by what they do than who they are. Think about what we do when we first meet a person. And this is really true among men, maybe more so than women. But it's usually not very long until we find out what they do for a living. And when a guy goes up to a guy and shakes hands and says, what do you do? He knows automatically you're talking about, well, what do I do for a living? That's because of our tendency to to define people more for what they do than who they are. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking that question, when, but when that becomes the goal and the emphasis of our culture, then we've got things backwards. So what happens is we end up lowering the fruit standard to a work standard when we define the spirit-filled life by what we do. Let's face it. It's easier to serve in some ministry in the church 
for most of us anyway, than it is to love your enemies. Oh, give me a job in the church. That's a lot easier than loving my enemies. See, you can do that kind of thing and still harbor bit. You can serve in the church and still harbor bitterness in your soul towards people. You might find it easier to teach a Sunday school lesson than to dep- than to take time with uh, and be patient with someone who needs to share with you their story about how they got in the mess they're in. Come on. Can you see the difference between a work standard and a fruit standard? It's easier to serve God in some way than to be gentle with somebody who has attacked you verbally. That's the difference. Again, we want to define our spiritual lives by what we do, but spiritual fruit is not about work. We also need to understand that spiritual fruit is not a gift. We talked about the gifts last week. We lower the fruit standard to a gift standard when we rely on experience over character. We live in a culture where the answer to what is truth has become whatever we want it to be. Which is kind of scary if you ask me. It's based on our own experience. The danger here is that experiences are often like emotions. They're fickle and they're different for everyone. And if we let experiences determine our truth, then we have no objective anchor in our lives. Experience then becomes more important than the truth of character. See, character is what God builds in us. But it's based on something that happened outside of us. Our character is based on the historical reality of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection. That's our anchor. It's not some meaningful life experience or how we feel at a particular moment. It's based on the reality that Jesus died and rose again and is alive and His Spirit lives within us. Our character then comes as we build our lives on that foundation. Which is absolutely true. That's absolute truth. It will always be true. It's always been true. It's true now. It'll be true tomorrow. The spirit-filled life is not defined by what gift we've been given or what experience we've had. Rather, it is defined by the gifts we share out of the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. We like gifts, and we like sensational experiences, don't we? But God is interested in our character. He's interested in the fruit of our lives. The fruit standard is a higher standard than the gift standard. Let's admit it. Gifts can have very little to do with the way we live and the way the world lives. And when there's no noticeable difference, we've lost credibility in a lost world. Yet there are many out there 
We talk about a watching world. There are many out there who realize that because of our connection with God, there is a difference in the way we treat others. Maybe in our own home, our own spouses, or raise our kids, or spend our money, or invest our time, or react to life's challenges. Think about the death of a loved one. How can you be smiling? Everybody knows you're supposed to grieve and... Oh no. They just graduated. That's a, that's a reason to celebrate. People look... Listen, the way we handle the adversity of life is a huge clue to the work of God in us. Right? <clears throat> Spiritual fruit is Christ-likeness. When the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our daily lives, then the world will believe our witness and the church will trust our gifts. But they need to see that in us, don't they? It's the fruit of the Spirit that's the litmus test. And then the next point, God produces fruit in our lives through relationship. Listen to what Jesus said again in John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero. Now we think, wait a minute, I do all sorts of good stuff. There are a lot of people out there doing great stuff. What, what he's talking about here is you will do nothing of eternal value. Nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned because that's all they're good for. So apart from the vine, the Spirit of Jesus, we cannot do anything of lasting value. It's not, it's, it's not about experience or a gift or the work we do. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. We must be in right relationship with the, with the Spirit of Jesus. It's not about our effort to produce love or joy or peace or patience or any of those things that are on the list of spiritual fruit. Uh, a branch cannot do anything unless it's tied into the trunk or the vine that provides the nutrients. That's where it comes from. And Jesus said, I'm the vine. It's about a daily, growing, dependent relationship with Christ that will result in us bearing fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. And notice here how God deals with those who bear good fruit. Next point. Fruit-bearing branches are pruned. Ouch! Jesus said, I am the true vine and my Father is the vineyard keeper. This is John 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine and my Father is the vineyard keeper. He removes any of my branches that don't produce fruit. And He trims any branch that produces fruit. Fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. Every branch that bears good fruit is pruned so that it will bear even more fruit. 
Pruning is a fairly extreme process sometimes. Uh, Just out of college, I worked at a landscape nursery. And Carl, the owner of the nursery, who knew his stuff, used to say this. When you finish pruning a fruit tree, you should be able to throw a cat through it. Now, that's not about throwing cats through trees. The idea is that if there's anything for the cat to grab onto, he would. In other words, it would look pretty extreme to the novice. Wow, you, you hacked the daylights out of that thing. It's, but that's what needed to happen, that kind of pruning. And the point of pruning is to get the vine or tree to put its efforts into growing fruit and not just leaves. You can have a beautiful looking grapevine absolutely full of perfect looking leaves that produces little or no fruit. Remember those grapevines at our place? Hardly any grapes on them. Because we never tended the things. They were a mass of beautiful leaves. Lots of leaves, little fruit, no pruning. So what is pruning in our lives? Well, it's the discipline God institutes when we get out of line. It's the truth of Scripture revealed by the Spirit that teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us in righteousness. It's those things that God calls on us to eliminate from our lives so that we can be more fruitful. That's pruning. And by the way, uh, the message there is if you don't produce good fruit, if you produce good fruit, you're going to get pruned. If you don't, if you don't produce any fruit at all or bad fruit, gets cut off and thrown in the fire. And then, finally, we've been chosen for fruit-bearing. Jesus, again, in John fifteen sixteen, You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. What a great thought. God chose you and me that we might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Wow. God said to me, I chose you to bear fruit. What a privilege to be a branch on the one true vine. God believes in us enough to choose us. He's appointed us. And remember... That even though he's done that, it's not about us. Just make yourself available for him to flow through, because that's all a branch on the vine can do. And so, as we think about this, I have some questions. Questions to close with today. First of all,
is the fruit we're bearing, fruit that will last. Because if it isn't, everything else is going to burn up. Did you know that? Everything else is going to burn up. There's only some things that are going to last eternally. I had a friend, uh, the same friend, the evangelist friend, who uh, did some uh, preaching in Alaska. He lived there for a while. I think he passed the church. He drove around an old beat-up Volkswagen bug. And they used to make fun of him for his car. And he said, I don't care. Because one day, it's going to burn up. And you're not going to be able to tell the difference between my VW bug and your Cadillac. It's all going to burn up. There's only some things that are eternal. Folks, once things come to an end, the gifts are no longer going to be needed. But the fruit of the Spirit goes on forever and ever and ever. So what do our branches look like? Is there anything in our lives blocking the flow of the Holy Spirit? And we also need to ask, is the fruit of our lives evidence of the flow of God's Spirit through, the, through us? Is there good fruit? Bow your heads with me. Father, I know that um, every single one of us here today, and we may be at different places on our journey with Jesus, but we're all still works in progress. Paul said, He who began a good work in you will see it to completion, and we're on the road to completion. But we won't be complete, complete, till we see Jesus someday. And you've called us along this journey to pr- produce good fruit, fruit that will last, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You want those things to be evident in our lives. Every one of them. And Jesus, we know that those things were evident in your life in fullness, in perfection. And we know that those things probably are not evident in our lives in fullness and perfection. But, oh, Jesus, you've, we want to be like you. So I pray that we would allow the, the flow of your Holy Spirit through our lives so that those things are evident and more evident and more evident as we grow in our relationship with you, that we will know that the life of the Spirit is flowing through us, the branches, to produce good spiritual fruit that is more valuable and more important than any gift we have or work we can do. It's about our character. It's about Christ-likeness, because when that is seen in our lives and those other things will flow out of that, the work, the gifts, Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. And if there's anything we need to do to unrestrict the flow of your Holy Spirit through us, may we confess that to you in this moment today so that it can be removed and we can be the 
the good fruit bearing branches as followers of Jesus that you've called us to be. And thank you for choosing us to bear good fruit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for your attention. God bless you with his grace and peace as you go this morning. You are dismissed.